Welcome to the Range Minded Podcast. My name's Steve, and I have a whole bunch of show notes here and on the computer. We're going to be talking about something important tonight. We're going to be talking about DC versus Heller. Now, let's first talk about the elephant in the room. This dot on my head, I'm looking at my screen up here so I know where I'm pointing, which I should be able to just feel the bump. It's not a pimple. It's not some dot signifying a religious uh, belief. I broke a pry bar, and it bounced up and hit my face, and I bled all over the place. I said some bad words. I'm not embarrassed by it, but just remember my eyes are here, not there. Anyway, let's get back to the task at hand. I recently uh, published a video on the YouTube channel talking about the need to know where we've been so we know where we're going. And I decided to start here, DC versus Heller. First, I'm going to kind of go over an overview of what this court case was about, Supreme Court case. And you need to understand how important this case is to us now. Now, this took place in 2008, I think. Sure. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, 2008. That's where I read it, right there on my screen. It's important for us to understand this because there's some definitions made through this decision, and it passed, uh, you know, close, but it passed. There's some definitions that were refined and understood, and that tradition is going to be kept through the next few decisions that the Supreme Court makes from here on. So D.C. versus Heller. Uh, Dick Heller was a policeman and a security guard. And at the time in, uh, in New York, it was uh, impossible for him to carry a handgun outside of his professional capacity. In fact, when he was home, the gun had to be disassembled. It had to be there were safe storage laws. It was difficult for him to retain a firearm in case of self-defense. In fact, you weren't allowed to use a firearm in self-defense at this time. Um, he just as well club a bad guy to death with it, unless he was at work with his badge or, or doing whatever he's doing. Why was this case so important? Well, um, when Scalia made the, the decision, and he wrote it down, his opinion, there was a lot of information in there that is very, very pertinent to, pertinent to us now, and I want to talk about it. But let's jump to something first. Okay, I want you to hear this and understand this, and I want you to commit this to heart. And you've heard it before, and you will hear this many times again here on the podcast. Second Amendment, okay? A well-regulated militia being necessary to the, the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Shall not be infringed. The word shall is a very powerful word in constitutional law, and it needs to stay that way, and we need to understand that. Do we need to read it again? I'll read it so I don't screw it up. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of, of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay, why is that important? Because there's some very important verbiage in there, and it is defined by Scalia in this Heller case. Uh, let's jump down here. There's, I'm going to be reading some of the stuff out of this, uh, out of this opinion. Uh, because it is, I mean, I'm telling you, it is amazing. Let's jump to the, the opinion version of this case. I will, I will uh, link the Supreme Court documents to the, to the show notes here at the end of the show so you can look up for yourself. All right. So, sorry, it wasn't New York. It was uh, D.C. where this was, which we should have known anyway. 
Okay, so he goes through, it dissects the Second Amendment, um, and he, and it's important for us to understand how he how he dissects this. Okay, now this is from his opinion, Scalia's opinion. The Second Amendment is naturally divided into two parts: the prefatory clause and the operative clause. The former does not limit the latter grammatically, but rather announces a purpose. The amendment could be rephrased. Because a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So he first he goes through and rephrases it to help us understand it a little better. And why is that important? Because the anti-gun movement continuously and non-stoppingly, is that a phrase, attacks our Second Amendment by using the text of the Second Amendment itself. And Scalia was not having it. He said, The logic demands that there be a link between the stated purpose and the command. The Second Amendment would be nonsensical if it read, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to petition and redress the grievances shall not be infringed. That makes no sense, right? That's what he's saying. There's a reason why we have the operative and the prefatory clause. Well, prefatory and operative. You get what I'm saying, okay? So let's jump into uh, the operative clause because he, he talks about this in depth. And I'm not going to read everything, but I, like I say, I'm going to read a lot of this stuff straight from Scalia's opinion. The right of the people, the first salient feature of the operative clause, codifies that the people, the unnamed con constitution in the Bill of Rights used the phrase the right of the people two other times. The First Amendment's assembly to petition and the Fourth Amendment Search and Seizure Clause. The Ninth Amendment uses very similar terminology. The enumeration of the in, in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. All three of these instances unambiguously refer to the individual rights, not the collective rights, or the rights that may be exercised only through the participation of some corporate body. So right there, that's the very first important thing. He talks about the militia. That's uh, well, he doesn't talk about the militia. Excuse me. The the anti-gun crowd will state that the militia is a collective group. The people are a collective body. And Scalia says no. If you look at all the other references in the Bill of Rights, when it says "we the people" or it references the people, he's not talking about a collective body. The founding fathers never interpreted the people as a collective situation it's an individual right and an individual's rights like it says in the first amendment and the fourth amendment can't be construed any other way it is a, an individual responsibility an individual purpose three provisions of the constitution refer to the people in the context other than rights the famous preamble we the people um, second article, providing that the people will choose a member of the House. The Tenth Amendment, providing that those powers not given to the federal government remain with the states or the people. Those provisions arguably refer to people acting collectively, but they deal with the exercise of reservation of powers, not rights. Nowhere else in the Constitution does a right attributed to the people refer to anything other than an individual right. This is important for us to understand. 
The Second Amendment is an individual right, as individual as our First Amendment privileges. No, rights. Wow, where did that come from? Now I'm talking like a lefty. They're not privileges, they're rights. What is more, all six, in all six other provisions of the Constitution that mention the people, the term unambiguously refers to all members of the po political community, not an, abs uh, not an unspecified subset, as we said in the United States. And so they reference a different ruling. The people seems to have been a term of art employed in, se in select parts of the Constitution. It uses or suggests that the people protected by the Fourth Amendment and by the First and Second Amendments, and to whom the rights and powers are reserved in the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, refers to the class of persons who are part of a national community or who have otherwise developed sufficient connection with this country to be considered part of that community. This counter, uh, this contrasts the markedly, the market, markedly with the phrases the militia in the prefatory clause, as we will describe below, so we're going to go that through later. We'll talk about that. The militia in colonial America consists of a subset of the people, whose, uh, those who were male, able-bodied, and within a certain age range. Reading the Second Amendment as protecting only the rights to keep and bear arms in an organized mil militia therefore fits poorly with the operative clause, the, uh, the operative clause's description of the holder that right as the people so then he goes through keeping in in uh, keeping arms okay um sorry i'm just kind of skipping through reading reading real fast so i can go through what i was thinking about keep and bear arms we move now from the holder of the holder of the right the people to the substance of the right to keep and bear arms before addressing the words keeps <laughs> keep and bear we interpret their object arms in 18th century meaning is no different from the meaning today in seven, seven in the 1773 edition of samuel johnson's dictionary to find arms now this is important because this will play a part later on not in this ruling but in your individual right to defend yourself dictionary to find arms as weapons of offense or armor of defense why do we carry handguns? Why do we possess firearms? Now, in the 1773 edition of the dictionary, which the founders probably referenced to understand and use the correct language in the document, they're either weapons of offense or an armor of defense. Think about that for a minute. Our right to keep and bear arms can be offensive, Unless we break a law, right? If we're going hunting, like they want to say the Second Amendment only refers to, I would consider that offensive. Not offensive as I'm embarrassed or, or ashamed by what you did, but we're using it for a purpose. Or defensive in form of an armor, not talking about a knight in shining armor, but a use to defend ourselves. I would consider my firearm or my defensive use knife as a, a shield in a way. No, it's not going to deflect bullets, but it will return an object just as fast. <sighs> the dictionary in the English language, 107, 4th edition, blah, blah. Tim Timothy Cunningham's important 77, 1771 legal, legal dictionary. Wow. 
defines arm as anything that a man wears for his defense or takes into his hands or useth in wrath to cast a strike or strike another. The New and Complete Law Dictionary, 1771. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, that's just the same dictionary. The term was applied then as it is now to weapons that were not specifically designed for military use and were not employed in the military capacity. For instance, Cunningham's Dictionary gave us an example of usage. Servants and laborers shall use bows and arrows on Sundays <laughs> and not bear other arms. Uh, let's see, skip down a little bit. Although one founding area thesaurus limited the arms as opposed to weapons to instruments of offense generally made use of war, even that source stated that firearms constituted arms. Uh, Tressler, distinction between... Oh yeah, that was just the thesaurus. Sorry, I'm reading some of the, some of the explanations. So this, this term is often used to battle against the Second Amendment, this part of this paragraph. And I'm going to read it again. It's the very beginning of the paragraph. The term was applied then as it is now to weapons that were not specifically designed for military use and were not employed for the, in the military capacity. There are many people that are saying that the AR-15 is a weapon of war. Never has the AR-15, which is a civilian variant uh, of of the Armalite rifle, right? That scary, scary weapon. Never has any military issued an AR-15. Okay? Now somebody's going to say, well, Ukraine, there's a bunch shipped over. They weren't issued. They were donated. Never has an AR-15 been issued by any military across the world. Why? Because it's a semi-automatic rifle. They want full burst fire, right? Full auto fire so they can use as a suppressive tool. Not one round at a time. They want to select fire. Okay? Some have made argument, bordering on the frivolous, that only those arms existed in the 18th century are protected by the Second Amendment. We do not interpret constitutional rights that way, just as the First Amendment protects, protects modern forms of communication. So Scalia says, look, the Constitution, or excuse me, the, the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, does not only apply to muskets, to duck foot pistols, to the puckle gun. It does not apply only. It applies to all arms. Okay? Just like your First Amendment rights don't stop with pen and quill, ink and quill, parchment and quill. You know what I'm talking about. We, in turn, to use phrases keep arms and bear arms, Johnson defined keep arms most relevantly to retain or not to lose and to have in custody. Webster, man, stupid emails. Making my noisy stuff go on. Uh, Johnson defined keep as most relevantly to retain, not to lose, and to have in custody. Johnson's Webster defined as to hold or retain in one's power or possession. No party has apprised us of idiomatic meaning to keep arms. Thus, the most natural reading of keep arms in the Second Amendment is to, drumroll please, have weapons. Scalia states, To keep and bear arms is relevant now to arms, to modern firearms. 
To keep means to retain, to have in possession, to be able to possess. Arms is referred to modern arms. Okay? Pretty clear. Uh, let's see. The phrase keep arms was not prevalent and written in documents of the founding period that we have found, but there are a few examples, all of which favor viewing the right to keep arms as an individual right unconnected with militia service. William Blackstone. Please find Blackstone's commentary. William Blackstone, for example, wrote that... Uh, Catholics convicted of not attending service in the Church of England suffered certain penalties, one of which was that they were to they were not permitted to keep arms in their house. Man, wouldn't that be tough? Almost like the founding fathers didn't like the bureaucracy, right? Uh, not permitted to keep arms in their house. Uh, let's see. No papist shall or may have keep arms in his house, any arms. Hawkins uh, treats the on the, uh, the pleas of the crowd. Oh, these are just more. Petitioners point out a point to militia laws to the founding period that require militia members to keep arms in connection with militia service and that they conclude from this that the phrase keep arms has a militia-related connotation. Then it talks about a, a reference. And this, this is, uh, this rather is saying that since there are many statutes authorizing aggred, uh, aggrieved employees to keep complaints with federal agencies, the phrase file complaints has, has an employment-related connotation. Keep arms was simply a common way of referring to possession of arms for uh, militiamen and everyone else. Okay? Why, why am I going through this? Why do we need to hear this? There is a ton more a ton okay like i'm just scrolling down through here i'm not going to read everything you guys are probably getting bored with what i'm reading that is why i'm sharing and, and uh sharing the link copying the link for you to go through and read please read this please and some of the next few uh podcasts i don't know if i'm going to do a bunch in a row or if i'm just gonna kind of periodically put them through there. I think it's important for us to understand and learn our history. We need to know where we've been and how we got here now so we know where to go in the future. Let's talk about the pistol brace thing for a minute. And I know it's like beating a dead horse. First and foremost, straight up, don't listen to me don't listen to any other YouTubers or, or podcasters or whatever telling you what you need to do or what you shouldn't do with your firearm. If you have a pistol brace or more, I'm not telling you that you have to hurry up, take your, take your pictures, get your fingerprints done, submit all that information to the ATF, and, and forego the, the $200 grace period or whatever. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm also telling you, or I'm also not not telling you to do that. You need to consult an attorney. Gosh, I'm struggling speaking, aren't I? You need to consult an attorney, one that understands the Second Amendment, one that's uh, 
understands how a lot of the two-way stuff is going on in the world. Consult an attorney. I was, uh, I, I learned of some information, and I didn't know this. Like, honestly, I was kind of surprised when I heard this, and I can't remember what video I was watching. Um, it was on a, a Gun Owners of America. They were <clears throat> at SHOT Show. This, I don't remember the dude's name. But he was reading all the pistol brace stuff, the final rule, and a little light bulb came on, and and he his question was so intense in his mind that he decided to talk to the ATF booth and find somebody that could help him with this. So I didn't, I wasn't aware of this, and I should be. Maybe I did know and forgot, but the FBI no longer takes care of background checks. They're no longer in charge of the NIC system. The ATF is now in charge of the NIC system. Now after 88 days. If they have gotten no resolution back, it's a denial. Now, now we remember that with the NIC system, after three days, if you're buying a handgun, um, if they can't find anything wrong, right, because you're presumed innocent, you get to take your firearm home after you fill out your 4473 and wait on your background check. But now, with the ATF, at least as far as NFA items are concerned, if Within 88, after 88 days, if you have gotten no response back, it's a denial. How many arm braces do we know? Well, can we assume are out there in circulation? The ATF figures somewhere between 10 and 40 million, which is a huge difference in numbers. I still think that number at 40 million is low, but let's use the 40 million numbers. Now, suddenly, everybody's going to go jump on this amnesty thing, and everybody's going to do all 40 million arm brace holders, which, you know, there's some that have multiple. I get it. But 40 million firearms to be put in the NFA registry. 40 million. I looked it up earlier. There are 500-and-something thousand SBRs in the NFA registry. 500-something thousand. If we use their number of 40 million, that is going to take a massive dump on the background check system. Are they going to have it done in 88 days? No. That's not even three months. How long does it take? You guys that have bought suppressors or have done Form 1 stuff, how long does it take on a system that's not bogged down? When I was behind the counter selling stuff, I heard within 30 days of getting suppressors back and at least 14 months. And that is on a non-plastered year. 88 days, friends. 88 days. It's an automatic denial. Here's the problem with that 88 days. In the meantime, you have taken pictures of the firearm. You have sent a request. You have sent fingerprints. At that point, you can't say, no, I don't have one. Because you just sent all the information in. Now the ATF knows, without a, a doubt, they have documentation, they have photographs, that you're in a possession of an illegal weapon. This bill, this, well, it's not a bill. i got to get my verbiage right. 
This final rule on pistol braces is a giant dragnet. It is either used for A, creating a gigantic firearms registry, or B, it's a felon generator. It's a catch. Now, Matt Gates, if you follow us on Instagram, Matt Gates posted a uh, a bill, like pre uh, presented a bill to put the ATF in check. It needs to happen. I don't think my gut says that this pistol brace rule won't stand in court. But how long is it going to take from the date of posting it to the point that it's heard in the in the Supreme Court? A lot of things can happen in that amount of time. I'm guessing it's longer than 88 days. I'm not telling you to lie to federal agents. I'm not telling you to not post whatever. You need to do what you feel is right. That's why I'm saying consult an attorney. In the meantime, you need to call your senators, you need to call your representatives, and you need to tell them how you feel about the ATF's crazy overreach. Now, they're, uh, they're under the control of the Department of Justice. That's where they say they get their ability to, to make all these laws and all these rules because the Department of Justice gives them the ability to do so. But that's not quite right. Congress, its duty is to create bills. Okay, to create laws. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, I know that's a, such a Debbie Danner. We just, we just talked about Heller. We just talked about Heller and how it was a win. It is a win. Okay? Now, in Miller, which we'll talk about later, um, they, they reference that uh, a lot of the history in, in Heller was wrong, and it, I believe they were right. Scalia, as amazing a man as he was, he, he still didn't get it 100% right. And thank God for Justice Thomas. Miller is a huge case, and that's what is destroying a lot of this BS rules that are, that are trying to be implemented. And this case with, because the bump stock thing's probably going to go to the Supreme Court, and the arm brace, that stuff is going to hit the Supreme Court. And as long as the makeup of the court doesn't change, I'm confident that we'll see a positive outcome. What do we do in the meantime? First off, you need to do your homework. I, look at this. This is pages. Miller's in there. Uh, McDonald's versus Chicago's in there. Catano, uh, uh, that's what it is. I always get that name wrong. Catano v. Massachusetts is in here. All these things are important pro-Second Amendment rules. And that's not even everything. I still got to dig up the EPA case, which is huge, huge for the gun community. No, it has nothing to do with our guns polluting. It has everything to do with agencies not being allowed to make laws. That's a big deal. 
And that's something that a lot of folks in the gun community aren't even looking at. There's a few voices out there encouraging, uh, encouraging education on the matter. Look it up. Please look up these laws. Look up these rules that have been changed. Look them up. I am absolutely passionate about the Second Amendment. I get things wrong all the time. Trust me, uh, in comments and stuff, apparently I get a lot of stuff wrong. But I don't care. I don't mind having a dialogue and me getting proved wrong. That's great. Because the more I learn, the more powerful... No, that sounds <laughs> that really narcissistic, doesn't... The mind is the most important weapon that we have. Okay? Why do you think the Bible was not printed in words where people could understand it and read it for so long? Because the church used that to rule over people. Once Gutenberg got the press and everybody could read... That changed everything. Why do you think the the pilgrims left England? Because the tyrannical and despotic rule of the king of England over the people. And they left, and they charted a new course, and they wanted a place where they could uh, worship the way they wanted and live the way they knew was right. And from... The, the Mayfair complex, Compact and, and, oh my gosh, my mind just went blank, all the way up to the initial drafts of the Constitution. Look at the contemporary documents that the Founding Fathers had. Please, please go buy a, a copy of the Federalist Papers. Please look up Blackstone's commentaries. Please. Because understanding the context brings things to a whole new light. Look, we read a lot of, of DC versus Heller. You saw in in Scalia's opinion how much he extrapolated just out of those few words out of the Second Amendment. Was it 27 words or something? 24? I don't know. It's amazing how words can be twisted and manipulated. And that's what the anti-gun community is so good at. But when you understand the content and the context, you know it can't be manipulated. You can't be manipulated. That's why doing your own homework is so important. I don't do enough homework. I don't. I'll be straight up honest with you. I probably listen to 12 hours of commentary today. Listen to it while I was working. On Heller, on I listened to a great, a great debate between um, God, the guy that runs Four Boxes Diner. Uh, oh, Smith, what's his name? Steve Smith. I can't remember his name. Sorry, but there was a great debate between him and an anti-gun guy. Man, it was awesome. It was frustrating listening to some of the. The rhetoric that comes from the left in their uh, just gun safety laws, right? Because they're using language in a way that manipulates their argument. If we understand that, that vocabulary they're using, that nomenclature, and then we understand the context of the reality of what is written in the Constitution, we can defend it. Right? I mean... We, when we drive our car, I understand this, we don't drive by looking in the rearview mirror, do we? 
No. Do we use our rearview mirror? Yeah. Why? Well, we got to see what's coming up behind us, right? But it also lets us know where we've been. We have to know what's coming up in the future. We have to. But we have a better understanding of what's coming up in the future when we understand our past and we understand how we got to this point in the United States. You guys, some of you understand this, some of you may not. You have so much power and influence. You, individually. Scalia just talked about the people. As mentioned in the Second Amendment and the First Amendment and the Fourth, the people. The preamble of the Constitution, we the people. We are the power in this country not the government. Yet, those in power and on both sides of the aisle would have you to believe that they're our leadership. No, they're not the leadership. We're the leadership. They're there to be our voices, our mouthpieces, if you will. We're in control. But for some reason, uh, I'm not sure when it took place. I mean, it could be the New Deal, you know, back... FDR's day could have been before that could have been after that I don't know it, it could have happened during Lincoln's time it could have happened under Jackson's time um, who knows for some reason we have forfeited our power to the people in Washington I'm going to be straight up on you with you most of those people are idiots they're the useful idiots that were talked about uh, by Stalin. They are the useful idiots. And for some reason, we're letting them make these ridiculous decisions. I don't trust Republicans. I don't trust Democrats. I don't tr trust independents. But when I see certain parties do things that make sense, I'll support them. It just so happens that the majority of stuff that makes sense that seems to be constitutionally minded is coming from the right, not the far right. Honestly, I, the older I get, the more libertarian I start to lean, where it becomes down to personal choice and then accountability. The Constitution does not uh, grant us rights. It does not. The Constitution limits government power. Read through the Bill of Rights. There's nothing that says the American people have the ability to do this up to this point, and that's it. No. Read it. The Bill of Rights gives us all the rights that we need and then limits the government's power to, uh, to interact against those rights. Read it. Prove me wrong. You as individuals have so much power, so much influence, and are a huge part in America's future. Each one of you. You may not feel like it. There's times I don't feel like it. But it's true. Each one of you 
You, 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 that guy way in the back. You have the ability to have a huge amount of influence. It comes down to a phone call or an email or maybe even a text message. Maybe you live in a place where you actually have the ear of your representation close. You are the power in the Constitution. We the people. Don't discount your influence. Don't. We'll go ahead and, and bring this to a close. I know it was a shorter episode. There was so much more to talk about. So much more I could have read in the DC versus Heller. I mean, when you look at the link, you're going to be like, oh man, there's pages and pages and pages and pages and pages. You think that's bad? Wait till we get to Bruin. Pages and pages and pages. 136 pages is what I printed off. I'll do some more commentary. I'll try to my best to uh, to bring that down to an edible size. Don't give up your Second Amendment rights. Understand the Constitution. Understand your rights. Don't be scared to stand up for what you believe. You have a voice. That is what's so beautiful about the First Amendment is we have a voice. It's meant to be shared, right? We're not meant to be pushed into a corner and told to shut up. We are not meant to be that. I have faith in you guys. I love the Constitution. I love the United States of America. It is the greatest experiment ever happened to ever happen <laughs> in this world. Yes, there's other greater things that did happen, sure. But the American experiment is perfect. The problem is, is we just have imperfect people that are in control. Be good. Fight the good fight. Get some training. Uh, you know what? I just thought of this. Uh, what is it? Hillsdale College has an awesome free class on the Constitution. Awesome. Sign up. It's free. There's a bunch of videos. You can take some quizzes. I need to do it again. Awesome. And it's free. Maybe you don't like Hillsdale. Whatever. I liked it because it didn't seem like I was just getting one perspective. It seemed like it was very open-ended to me. It was awesome. Get some knowledge. Get some training. Take somebody shooting. Don't be scared to have the hard conversations about the Second Amendment with people. Don't be scared. This is why I decided we'd go through this stuff. Is to give you some intellectual ammunition. This is standard capacity. Okay, standard capacity. But we can increase that standard capacity the more we learn and understand. Our mind truly is, I guess it could be a weapon. I, I don't really like that term. But our mind is what really makes the difference. The more we study, the more we understand, the more able and, and willing we'll be able to share context when it comes to the Constitution. You can hear my puppy crying upstairs. Anyways, be safe. 
take somebody shooting and be a good steward of the Second Amendment. Thanks, guys. And we'll listen to you next time. No, you'll listen to me next time on the Range Minded Podcast. Oh, man, where's my...